A reading from Genesis, the second chapter. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was a more craftier, was more crafty than any other animal that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Psalm 32 will be read responsibly. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. Happy are they to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, and in whose spirit there is no God. While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cancel, conceal my guilt. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave me the guilt of my sin. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Do not be like horse or mule, which have no understanding, who must be fitted with bit and bridle, or else they will not stay near you. Be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. Second reading is from Romans, the fifth chapter. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like transgressions of Adam who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for the many died through the one man's trespass. Much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and grace of one of the man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. 
And the free gift is not like the effect of the man's sin, one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift flowing many trespassers brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. According to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I'm Pastor Ben Nicodemus. I serve as an associate pastor at Central Lutheran. And it really is my privilege to be here with you today, both here in person and those of you joining us from home. And this Sunday is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, where we as Lutherans often really embrace our theology of the cross, that our identity as followers of Christ is found not really in the great future hope and glory of the new creation when all things will be beautiful. Instead, our identity 
we find in the here and now. The world we live in, which includes pain and sin, death and suffering, that's where we find Jesus in our lives right now. And it's not that we don't think there is hope and new creation. Of course we do. It's that we live here in our own spaces in this present world, in a world that is full of pain. And while the new creation has indeed invaded the present world and is fully and paradoxically here at this very moment in our hearts, we also recognize that until Jesus' return, we are in a mortal world. As we said this past Wednesday, we remember we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And the theology of the cross that Martin Luther loved so much is exactly right here. In this place of weakness and sin is where we find Jesus with us and among us. During the season of Lent, more than any other time during the church year, we embrace that theology and recognize our own humanity and our own mortality. We might just say what Lent really is about is we recognize who God is. And we recognize we aren't God. That's the theology of the cross. It's a beautiful theology in many ways. And today in our gospel lesson, we have Jesus in the wilderness being tempted and tested. Tempted and tested are the same word in Greek. It's just we think of them as different. What external, what internal. But they're really the same. And that's one of those moments that that theology of the cross springs forward. That in our darkest times, in our own wildernesses, when we are facing trials and temptations, we can find out who Jesus is in our lives. And as many of you know, we, we often know who God is for us in our lives so much more clearly in times of crises rather than times of prosperity. And so during Lent, we embrace that theology of the cross, especially when things seem to be going hard. It's a lovely sentiment, but we must be cautious with this theology. This theology of the cross can be used far too easily and unwittingly as kind of a weapon. To illustrate that, I'd like to share a little about who I am and my background. Before I came to Central Lutheran in January of 2021, I was a theology instructor at Concordia University in Portland. And I taught there for nine years in various capacities. And in January of 2020, there was an email notice to everyone, all students and all faculty, all, and, and staff, all employees, faculty and staff, meet at a church nearby, all students meet in the gymnasium, and all classes are canceled for the day. None of us knew what was gonna happen, but that wasn't good. And when we got there, it was announced that at the end of the school year, Concordia would be closing. Uh, suddenly and dramatically. No one had expected it. It turned out that the school was something like $54 million in debt, 
the number is not completely clear because it's all in pending lawsuits right now. So you, what we know, we know from the Oregon. So, um, but no one was aware of that among normal people. They'd heard there was a problem with the budget, but turns out it was a significant problem. But what made things especially hard was this was in late January. COVID hadn't quite happened yet. That would be a couple months later. But the, for all of the students there, application deadlines to new schools had already passed. And so a number of schools tried to work with them and they created special tracks and so forth. And we especially felt for there were a number of students there who'd come from Merrillhurst University, which had closed a couple of years before. So they were now going to be seeking their third school trajectory. And I tell that story because of what happened the next day in chapel. We went to chapel. And the preacher really leaned into the theology of the cross. The sermon was based on James 1, that trials lead to endurance, and endurance leads to character. And the preacher was really well-meaning, but made a mistake. The message, if you really boiled it down of what he said, was that the hard times we face show us who God is, so everyone should really Thank God that their school just closed. <laughs> and, you know, after all, our sufferings and our pain is where we meet Jesus. So give thanks for that great opportunity. He didn't mean that, but that's how it was received. And a number of us in the theology department then received a number of students wanting a little time to talk. It's what we would call a bad theology of the cross. And I don't disagree with that speaker that Jesus does indeed meet us in places of pain and challenge, but we also don't have to pretend pain and challenge are a good thing. Bad things are bad. Let's not try to redefine or reframe them into something that we actually wanted all along. In our gospel reading, Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's tempted and tested. Any first century Jewish hearer of this story would immediately recognize the parallel between Jesus and the people of Israel, 40 years of the wilderness, Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. And I'd like to invite us to think about that concept of wilderness with relationship to that theology of the cross. There is a distinct theology of wilderness in the Bible. Wilderness isn't just a geographic area humans don't tend to live in the biblical world. Wilderness is in contrast to being landed. If you read the Old Testament, nearly everything was about having a land. That was their own. The land that God had promised them. And that goal of being there, living there. And then when they'd be in the land, they thought they would prosper. But they weren't so naive to think that it would all just be beautiful, but it would be stable. You could expect one thing and the next and the next, and you knew what life was going to be. And then there were times as you read the Old Testament, they weren't in the land. When they were enslaved in Egypt, 
when they were carted off and made to live in Babylon, when after the Babylonian exile was over and some people came back, but most people remained living in diaspora forever, and they ended up having to figure out what it was to be in two places at once, or many, many places at once, they still were landed. They did have a place, but it was a bad place. It was consistent, it was stable, just consistently negative, consistently suffering. But then there was wilderness. And every time they're in the wilderness, the 40 years of the people spending there, they were neither landed well, they weren't in the land God gave them, nor were they landed poorly. They weren't in another place where they knew what life was going to be. They were landless. There was nothing consistent or dependable about it. Because in the Bible, wilderness is a concept, not just a place. It was a place where humans could not live. It was a place where there was nothing predictable at all. So when they woke up every morning, they'd have no idea what they were going to face. It really might have been fine. And if you read through the book of Numbers, many of the times the days were fine. Or it might be awful. They didn't know what was going to happen. And they were left on high alert. And that kind of hypervigilance is exhausting. Later in Christian history, by the way, early monks decided to go out into the desert, into the wilderness. You know, they did that not because they wanted to be alone, but because I know what wilderness is. It's where humans can't live. That's where the demons dwell. So we're going out there to go face the demons. That's where they thought they lived, the place not possible for humans to live. So when Jesus goes out into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, the hearers of this story would not have been surprised that Satan showed up. That's what happens out there in the wilderness. That's where the demons live. And what's more, they would have recognized Jesus being tested out there in that wilderness and the parallel of Israel in that wilderness all those many years ago. When they had to learn how to listen to God and learn who they were without being landed, without being able to depend upon their own ingenuity or ability. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament as a whole, spiritually, the people of Israel were often in a far better place when they were not in the land than when they were. When they were faced with trials and they weren't able to depend on their own cleverness, they instead learned who were they before God? They looked to God for their stability in those moments. And in many ways, that was really Lenten. When we focus upon the reality of our present situation and see the instability of our own lives, there we're empowered to look to God. That's the real theology of the cross. That when they were in places of challenge and trials and temptations. There Christ is with us. Jesus was in the wilderness, just like we are. 
But that was spiritually. Spiritually, they were better off when they weren't in the land than when they were. Physically, they were in a much worse situation when they were not in the land than when they were. They were suffering in the wilderness. Jesus was suffering in the wilderness. That suffering was real and they were not Gonna, they were not meant to go seek it out or thank God that things were so hard. And we don't want to fall into that mistake of that chapel preacher of telling us not to feel the very real pain and suffering and instead to pretend to be happy about it and give thanks. That's not the theology of the cross. That's what we call denial. Denial of admitting where I am and what's happening to me. Because the world we live in is a broken one. We live within what Paul calls the present evil age. The wilderness we live in is around us every day. The challenges and problems we face as a society seem embedded and locked in, and our agencies that respond to them seem tiny in comparison. We live in a world with persistent war. We Many of us pay attention, especially to the one in Ukraine, but it's everywhere. We live in a town where this past week there were anti-Semitic flyers circulated. We live every day with less and less optimism that we'll be able to span these political and social crises and be able to come together as a community. We are in a wilderness, indeed. And the mistake Israel continued to make was that when they were led back into the land after being in the wilderness, they didn't bring the wilderness with them. They entered the land with a sigh of relief to say, thank God that is all over. And the complacency of prosperity took over. And all those lessons learned in the wilderness about who they were before God slowly were lost. But when Jesus leaves that wilderness, he, like Israel, shows what real obedience is in that wilderness, what real listening to God is. And then Jesus enters the world again. And instead of contending with Satan, he contends with daily life. But what Jesus does that no other group does is he brings the spiritual acuity of the wilderness into the rest of his ministry. When things are going well or poorly, he shows and illustrates how God is active and alive in his life. Our theology of the cross is that theology. It's saying that both in times of plenty and times of need, that Christ is just as much with us. We are always challenged out of our complacency, whether it's the complacency of prosperity or it's the complacency of despair, of throwing up our hands and saying, we can't do anything about it. Instead, we are called to be with Christ and in Christ, being Christ's heads and feet in the world, no matter how wild the wilderness, no matter how great the prosperity, the theology of the cross is that Jesus is with you every day of your life. Thanks be to God.